0: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your rider alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first Baseball America podcast of 2024. I'm Kyle Glazer, excited to be here in the new year with you all. And we are pleased to kick off this year's podcast slate with another Top 10 Prospects podcast. We are breaking down the San Diego Padres farm system today, one that is uh, near and dear to my heart as a former Padres beat writer at my previous job, and to help me do that today, I am joined by Jeff Sanders, who I spent many a year in the Petco Park Press Box with. Glad to have Jeff with me here today. Jeff, thank you for joining. Yeah, no problem, man, how are you doing? Doing all right. So Jeff, we've seen the Padres transition over the last few years. Really, they've gone through multiple cycles. When AJ Preller was hired at the end of the 2014 season, they built up for 2015, the infamous Rockstar GM offseason, that fell flat. They then went into a full-scale rebuild, four seasons of a rebuild, building up what was the number one farm system in baseball at the time. They came out of it. They've been as aggressive as any team, really, in recent major league history in terms of acquiring veterans for those prospects. And while they did make the NLCS in 2022, we need to not forget that, they have not had a 90-win season at any point under A.J. Preller. Last year was arguably the most disappointing season in franchise history in some ways. They went 82-80 and and needed to rally at the end just to have a winning season. After coming in with a record payroll and World Series expectations, Bob Melvin was allowed to interview with the Giants and left after the season. And there's been a lot of other issues beyond just what's happened on the field. The Padres broadcast deal with Valley Sports San Diego fell apart due to uh, various RSN financial troubles. The Padres were the first team that was dropped from their deal. That does affect their revenues. We saw the Padres had to take out a $50 million loan at the end of the season just to cover payroll. And then chairman and principal owner, Peter Seidler, who was beloved in San Diego uh, and really set the standard for what an owner should be in Major League Baseball, both in terms of how he ran his team and how he related to his community, died tragically after the season. So The Padres are facing a lot of change. Again, new chairman, new manager, a lot of new players. We saw them trade one soda this offseason because they needed to get under $200 million in payroll, brought back some young pitchers from the Yankees. How do you assess the state of this organization right now? Because a a lot can change in, in under a year. Again, you look back nine months ago, this was an organization a lot of people were picking to win the World Series.
2: And now it's an organization in flux, to say the least. Yeah, I don't think we know anything about where this team is headed right now. Uh, we have yet to hear from the new chairman of the, outside of the initial press release. Um, you know, there was rumors talk about going under payroll before uh, Peter Seidler died. Um, are they going under $200 million? Are they resetting the luxury tax? They haven't done much this offseason. You know, they, they've signed a, cl- a closer out of Japan. It looks like they're... Um, Close in on another closer out of Korea. And that'll be the two signings so far. So two relievers when they need starting rotation help badly. Not really sure where they're going right now. Well, you know, we got like, what, 30 days until pitchers and catchers. But uh, there's a lot that needs to be done still this offseason for the organization.
1: Yeah, you look at this team, this is one with a lot of holes. In, and that is something that has been fairly constant under this regime where they would bring in a lot of star power at the top, but, but there were always holes. I go back to that initial 2015 buildup where again, they brought in Justin Upton and Will Myers and Matt Kemp and all these stars to the players, but you know, the pieces didn't fit. They didn't have a center fielder. They were still starting Alexi Amarista at shortstop. They didn't have any rotation depth beyond that starting five. And it came back to bite them. And we saw a lot of the same things happen last year where you had Fernando Tatis come back. Add him to Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts. This was one of the most star-studded top of the lineups in Major League Baseball. Hassan Kim had his breakout. But even with that, for most of the year, at catcher, first base, DH center field, they were getting some of the worst production in the league. And we've talked about this. You know, Major League Baseball isn't the NBA. You can have the five best hitters in baseball at the top of your lineup if you're giving away three or four outs at the bottom every time through you're not going to win many games and we saw that with the Padres again last year they had one of the worst offenses in baseball most of the year it got a little better at the end when they had luis camposano step in as catcher and garrett cooper was acquired to help out at first base but it's been an issue and you look at this projected lineup right now in part because of the financial bind they're in they're two starting outfielders short they're probably if you're being generous, two starting pitchers short, maybe three. Um, we've talked about those additions they've made out of Asia in the bullpen, Yuki Matsui and Wusuko, both talented arms, but, but I think it would be a mistake to assume that from day one they're going to be, you know, eighth inning, ninth inning types and and replace Josh Hader, who left in free agency, Blake Snell, two-time signing award winner, one of the bright spots last year. He's a free agent. There's a lot of holes here, and for a team that has talked about winning a championship, being their goal. It does feel like there needs to be a resetting of expectations, just kind of given the construction of this team right now and where they are financially.
2: Yeah. And you, you know, set that against what the Dodgers are, are doing what the what the <laughs> Giants are trying to do. Um, yeah. I, I'm with you. Reset expectations. You know, you know, that said, you know, you know, we covered this team when the, the payroll was about 60 million. Maybe 30 that, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, so like if, if payroll ends up 180 to 200, you know, instead of being over 250, like, you know, a Padres fan 10 years ago would have been okay. It's just tough to go back to go backwards and to do it with the pieces that are just, that are not there. You know, they still have, you know, a lot of infielders, not enough outfielders, not enough starting pitching and then, you know, not even Robert Suarez is proven as a closer. So uh, they don't have any proven laid in the arms. So with that, there is increased importance
1: on this farm system and homegrown talent. You know, one of the things that I, I have seen and heard this criticism of the Padres, and, and to be clear, this front office deserves a lot of the criticisms they've received. One I think is off base is people criticizing, oh, I thought, you know, AJ Preller and his staff were supposed to be as great talent evaluators. And how many homegrown stars do they have? The Padres have been one of the best drafting teams in the last decade. When you look at the number of players they've turned into major leaguers and the quality of those big leaguers, it's not that they haven't drafted well. It's that they've traded most of the impact players away for veterans. You look at Cal Quantry look at Ty France CJ Abrams just had a good year last year Mackenzie Gore showed some good things you look at David Bednar um, Andres Munoz international signing there's plenty of guys you know Eric Lauer was productive in Milwaukee for a few seasons there's plenty of guys who the Padres have drafted brought up and have found success they've just found success in other places because they've traded them for big name stars and most of the time when they've made trades in the off season, it's been worth it. You look at the Udarvis trade, you look at the Blake Snell trade, you look at the Joe Musgrove trade. It's their deadline trades are the ones that have come back to bite them a little bit. Those in particular have been pretty poor. At the same time, there's a lot of ex-Padres having an impact in the major leagues right now. It's just not what the Padres... Because of these financial constraints and a lot of the changes that have happened, it does feel like the Padres are going to have to keep these guys now. They're going to have to produce young talent, get it to the major leagues, and and have it make an impact. And we've seen the Padres a lot of times unnecessarily rush guys to the players' detriment, to the team's detriment. Talk about Chris Paddock not being a chance to develop a third pitch. Talk about Luis Patino being pulled up when he barely pitched above a ball. You talk about CJ Abrams being pulled up when he had played less than 50 games at double a, and then giving him inconsistent playing time. So many guys who had talent got rushed. It didn't help anyone. And once again, the Padres have a really talented group, but most of them have partial seasons at double a at best. And I think one of the keys for them is going to be there is a lot of talent in this farm system. They need to reduce their impulse to rush it and let it develop so when it does come up into the major leagues, it's ready to make an impact from day one or as close as possible. You've got to get these guys prepared and ready. And I think the Padres have a good farm system in place in terms of top-end talent. They've rebuilt this top 10 fantastically. But these guys need time. If any of these guys are on the opening day roster next year, I think it's a problem.
2: Yeah, I I agree um the, the upper levels have been, you know, the talent's been sucked out of it by the trades. And so uh, there has been a tendency even in recent years to push guys up higher to kind of kind of backfill, right? I mean, um the double A team got turned over entirely last year with guys that started the year at at high A. And that and that's not unheard of, right? I mean, that happens. You you perform half a season well, in, in one place, you get moved up. I don't think anybody thought Ethan Salas was going to start the year in Lake Elsinore and finish it in double A. So, like, that raised a lot of eyebrows last year. Um, so, I don't, I don't know. I guess that's probably where you'd like to go to next, right? Like, Ethan Salas, double A catcher. I'm not sure he's a double A catcher. When, when he was brought up last year, it was presented to me like, you know, he's getting moved up to keep working with these pitchers. It was never like a, Hey, we can't move him back to start at high A the next year. So where he starts this year, I'm not sure. There've always been a, um, an organization that says they like the players to tell them. And yeah, that's what they say, but it seems like there's a lot of coercion from their part. <laughs> yeah. So Ethan
1: house is a good place to start. He was the top international signee in the 2023 class. And Really impressed right away in spring training, catching big league pitchers. Continued to perform well in extended spring training. Worked through a little bit of an injury. Came up to Elsinore and was 16 years old when he made his full season debut. I went back and looked. He was the first player to make his full season debut at 16 since Adrian Beltre. So really, really, really good company there. And I got to see a lot of him at Elsinore last year. Tremendously impressive how poised he is. The quality of his at-bats. How he manages his pitching staff, plenty of bat to ball skills. Again, you watch him, you're like, wow, I can't believe this kid is 16. He looks completely amongst his peers, amongst some guys who were 21 who were college draftees. That said, one of the most notable things was, again, because he was 16, turned 17 two days later, essentially the age of a, of a high school sophomore going into his high school junior year. He just needed to get stronger. He really barely caught back-to-back days. There were a lot of games where he caught for seven innings and came out. There was a lot of contact early that was just kind of weak contact. We saw him kind of dial it in later, and that's what got promoted to high A. But again, this was a kid who just needed time and physical development, and you can't really rush that. And when the Padres promoted him to high A, it certainly raised some eyebrows. The promotion to double A, he was nowhere near ready for it. I do think he needs to go back and start next year in high and get at least a half season there, if not a full season, what are the Padres goals from next year? Cause I think there's no question. He has the talent to be a franchise catcher, but given the Padres history of Russian guys and given what they did with him specifically last year, there are some red flags about, are they going to get the most from him with the way they develop him?
2: I, I think they, they want to see him get at bats. Okay. Um, I I don't know if if there are I mean, yeah, I mean you could say they're red flags just based on their history, but I don't I think they know what they have in him. They're not worried about the stagnation part. They're not afraid to challenge a player, right? Like we've seen that. And you know, and maybe may, like well, like with tatis, like maybe that obviously not everyone's tatis, and maybe they need to get off that kind of that mindset a little bit. Just let these guys fully dominate a level before moving up. Um because he didn't really – I mean, he had a hot streak in Elsinore, and then he cooled off, and then they still sent him to high A. And then they bounced him up to double A with the rest of the guys that they were going up to double A. Um, so I do, I'm i with you. I think he starts at high A. I think the knee injury that he suffered at the end of the year, like he only got, what, 11 games, something like that. I think that's an easy excuse to just back off what they were doing, send him to high A, let him play, let him catch more, um, let him – you know physically develop and just get reps. He needs reps.
1: Yeah. And I think the Tatis example, which some people point to, they need to remember Tatis played a full season at low. He got 117 games, 518 plate appearances in Fort Wayne. And then they bumped him straight to double a and they gave him over two seasons, a hundred more games at double a That's very, very different than, again, C.J. Abrams coming up after 46 games. You know, again, Ethan Salas being promoted out of low A after 50 games. I think it's something where they actually gave Tatis time. They pushed him aggressively, but he still had 500 ABs in Fort Wayne, or plate appearance, I should say, and almost another 500-plus in Double A plus 100 or so in winter ball. I mean, he got the at-bats, which they haven't given some of the guys to follow. And there's a critical distinction there. With Salas, let's say, okay, he's given the time, he's given the ability to develop. How good can he be? Because, uh, you know, look, we've put a big number on him at Baseball America, the the grade of a perennial all-star catcher. Again, just given the poise, the ability on both sides of the ball, it's very easy to see this is someone who who could be, again, the type of franchise catcher that that's pretty rare to find in Major League Baseball.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with how good he can be. Um the, the perennial all-star thing, I and mean, I think that's a good place to start, and we'll see where we go from there. Um, you know, I think they think he's going to hit. He's going to lead a catching room. I think that's important. Um, they, you know, just, it's just how soon is he going to be that, and can they resist the urge to to move him too fast? But he, all, he's he got all the makings to, to be an all-star there. Jeff,
1: it, it seems fair to say Ethan Salas kind of put himself as – the clear-cut number one prospect in the system just because the upside is so high at the same time there's a lot of really good prospects in this system take me through kind of your process you had Jackson Merrill who got to double a uh, shook off some he had some illness early in the season once he got past that really really had a good year you have Robbie Snelling who had one of the the best performances of any pitcher in all the minor leagues last year and did so as a guy who was in his first year after being a high school draftee. And you also have guys like Dylan Lesko, who came back after Tommy John surgery, was a top prospect coming out of the draft. is working his way back, showed stuff, still has to get his command and feel back, which is very natural for a guy coming back off TJ. How did you kind of stack this group up overall and ultimately what led
2: you to put Merrill on top of it? He he's got a longer track record than the other guys. I mean, a lot of the guys that ended up being in the top ten from the the twenty two draft class, like these guys, went out and performed. And you know, guys like like Snelling and Lesko hadn't pitched before in the in as a pro, and they went out and, and they did well. Lesco coming back off Tommy John, you know, he had his ups and downs, but the stuff was there. You could see it starting to, to go. Um, you know, there's a conversation. You know, who's the top pitching prospect in the organization? You know, a lot of us will say that Lesko has the upside, but you know what? You can't discount what Snelling did. He went out there and did it, and so you, you kind of gave him the edge as far as, you know, the top pitching prospect um, based on what he did last year. And you just kind of go from there. The, the 22 uh, draft class, Graham Pauly really showed up. Jacob Marcy finished, um, you know, on, on a high. I mean, he was still going hot in uh, in the Arizona Fall League, So it was – Compared to the year before, it was really easy (laughs) to come up with a top 10. Actually, it was difficult because you're leaving guys out this year, whereas in past years, you're like, huh, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I want to go back to Jackson Merrill. Again, had a really, really good year. You know, It was cold early in the Midwest League, had an early illness that that kind of knocked him off a little bit. But once you got into – You know, mid-May or so through the end of the year. Really had a good year. If you start from May 7th or so, his final 92 games, hit 295, 343, 466. Uh, Home run power, doubles power, strikeout to walk was good. Again, he just was really ill early, and it wasn't the best version of him. He's been a really, really mature, impressive hitter and, and player all around, really, since he debuted. I mean, it stood out even when he was at Elsinore. Uh, just played you know, calm, composed, uh, was really advanced beyond his years in terms of his ability to hang in against lefties, his footwork and fundamentals on defense. It was really, really impressive to watch. He was drafted as a shortstop. He played shortstop most of last year. We saw him play a little bit of second base, but we saw the Padres start to introduce left field to him at the very end of the year. What is his outlook moving forward positionally? Because as you've mentioned, the Padres have a bit of a logjam in the infield and they're in desperate need of outfielders. We saw them put him out in left field. Where do they see his long-term
2: home defensively? You know what? I can't answer that right now because who's going to be on this team this year? Like, like are we sure guys aren't going to be traded? You know, Hassan Kim's a guy that could be traded. I think he's got one year left on his deal. I don't know where, where Jackson Merrill's long-term defensive, you know, home's going to be. I know that that's a storyline I'm you know, excited to watch in spring training to see where they start to play him because I, that'll be the first... Of, first clue as to where he's going to play. But I think there's so much in flux right now. I mean, right now they need outfielders. Is he an outfielder? Is his bat good enough to be an outfielder? I'm not sure. I think we saw, you know, the you know what happens when you take a guy out of position like Jake Cronenworth, you know, and, and what that does to a player's value. I don't think that's lost on them going into this year. But they, they have needs and they have financial constraints. And, you know, Jackson Merrill can do a lot of things. I still feel like a lot of, his, his ranking is still projection, too. Like, I still feel like we haven't seen him really stretch his legs because of various injuries. He even finished the season, or he wasn't available for the postseason. It was a hamstring or a quad. I, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we haven't seen him play a, a full season from start to finish either. So there's still a lot of projection in this ranking of him.
1: Yeah. And again, I think that's partially what's so exciting. You know, he was a cold weather guy in Northeast Maryland, uh, was not a big showcase circuit guy. Uh, I know I was astounded seeing how much he had grown physically at the Futures game last year compared to when I had seen him in like Elsinore. You just are really starting to see him fill out and you're seeing everything kind of come together again. Home runs went up. He's still hitting for average. He's still, you know, you're seeing the impact. I, I think with him, talk about the Padres rushing guys, you see a few things here and there mentioning, oh, could he be on the opening day roster? And I think it's important to note, again, we're talking about a guy who's played 46 games above A ball and he needs time. You know, he could use whether it's opening back at double A, whether it's spending a half season or more triple A. Like you said, he's not a finished product yet. There's still a lot of physical development and skill development ahead. If he gets, you know, a full half season in AAA next year, he would still be making his major league debut at 21 years old. He hasn't turned 21 until April of next year. It's still a very young kid. And I think letting him develop and grow is going to be really, really important here. What is his ultimate potential? You mentioned the development is still happening We've seen him get bigger and stronger. We've seen him adjust as he moved up levels. What does the end product look like of Jackson Merrill if everything goes
2: according to plan? Man, you, I mean, those are hard questions. Like, I hate putting, uh, you know, like, uh, what's he going to be? Is he Xander Bogarts? I don't know. I know that the thing that stood out to me as, you know, as you learn about these players is he's got culture-changing makeup. You know, and I think, uh, okay, well, I feel like Xander Bogart's culture changing makeup. Um, I feel like that's probably a good offensive comp too if he stays at shortstop. Um, You know, I hadn't really thought about that a whole lot, to be honest. That just came out, that that was just top of of mind there. And that was the name that came, you know, maybe it's because it's right there. I see Xander a lot, (laughs) but I think that'd be a good, you know, left handed Xander Bogart's. Be happy with that, wouldn't you?
1: Uh, yeah, to say the very least, would be very, very happy with that. Um, again, he's really, really talented. We'll see what he's able to do. Again, I think it's important the Padres let him develop, give him time, and, and, and go from there. All right, Jeff, I, I want to talk about the rest of the system with you, because, again, there is some impressive depth here, at least through the top 10. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump right back into it.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates, I can schedule them, I can interview them, I can screen them, I can send messages to them, all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/baseballamerica. Just go to Indeed.com/baseballamerica right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/baseballamerica. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: You know how to book flights and hotels.
0: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
1: All right, welcome back to the Padres Top 10 Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with Jeff Sanders of the San Diego Union-Tribune. All right, Jeff, we talked about the topless system a little bit with Salas and Merrill. You hit on this a little bit before with, with Lesko and Snelling. I want to dive in on Lesko a little bit. What were the reviews of him in his first season back from Tommy John surgery? He came back mid-year, and again, it's really, really, really important never to read too much into statistics of a guy first year back. You Look at the surface numbers. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. ERA over five, six walks per nine, but... You saw loud stuff. And again, this is where command and feel is often the last thing to come back. What were the early reviews on Dylan Lesko and his his professional debut and his return from TJ? Well,
2: you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, command and feel is the last thing that comes. The stuff was there. Um, you kind of look at the way he finished, right? And I'm kind of pulling up the numbers now over his last two starts, one and run over nine innings. Fourteen strikeouts, yeah, nine walks over those those nine innings. The, the stuff's there. I mean, the guy's he's he's going to get a chance to get hit, get his command in. You know, he, I think he should start at high A, and, and I I think I think you could see him make a Dylan uh, a Robbie Snelling like like lead this year in, in performance. um Now, you know, it still might be more toward the second half where you see more consistency, but I mean. Yeah, but one of the best prep changes that you've seen in quite some time. I mean, that, that pitch plays, the fastball the fastball plays, and you know I think it's going to come together nicely this year for him.
1: Yeah, and again, this is a, a top four that's as good as really any. And you add Drew Thorpe, who was acquired in the trade for Juan Soto as their new number five prospect. That's a pretty good top five, and it, and it kind of stretches down into the top 10. And you mentioned this earlier, and we've kind of talked about the Potters have done a really nice job in the draft, and that's been early-round picks. That's been late-round picks. And the 2022 draft is looking like a pretty strong one out the gate. You look at Adam Mazur, Graham Pauly, Jacob Marcy, all guys in this top 10. Uh, I saw a lot of Graham Pauly at Elsinore this year. And, and college guys in low way. you always want to be cautious on, but you just notice early on, it's an athletic left-handed swing. And he just consistently finds the barrel. And we saw him really continue to do that and and really take off in high A. And he finished there in double A. Jacob Marcy, you know, always had a really good eye for the strike zone, could play center field, put up some good numbers this year. You know, what the pure hits going to look like is still in question a little bit. But it was a really, really good year, especially for two guys that were late around picks. And and Adam Mazur had a really nice first full season as well. What's the ultimate outlook for for these guys? And just how would you kind of assess the the back half of this top 10, how it kind of came together?
2: Well, we're looking at the COVID backlog with these college guys, right? It kind of extended into the 23 draft with Homer Bush um, Jr. Guys that had their playing time, their opportunity impacted with the amount of players that had to stay in college when the drafts were shortened. So what what do the Padres do well? They scout like crazy. They out-hustle teams. And I think that they were confident in what they had in these players and the things that they were able to unearth and you know and, and just scout and get in the room and talk to these guys. So I don't think they're surprised at all. Um, now, how fast can can they help the team? Like I, I think let's start the year at double A and see what we have at the second half of the season. I think we've got problems if we're projecting any of these guys, even Jackson Merrill. make you know to make this team on opening day right like there's there's they they have to get, get time to develop get time to play and get reps and we need to see it for for more than a full season but it's it's promising right like they traded so much depth to get to the point where they were in the nlcs in 2022 with with juan soto and a number of the trades that they had they needed a class like this to really help them you know backfill and i think they did well and i think you know we're still waiting to see about the 23 class you know there's a lot of guys that didn't get to play last year that you know maybe they could take a leap forward to but the farm system's turned around and a lot of it is based on what that 22 class has done
1: yeah it's it's been really really impressive again ultimately what these guys do in the major leagues will determine whether it was a successful draft class or not but the early returns have been really, really good. And that includes guys like Nathan Martorella who are not on this top 10, but another member of that 2022 draft class depth beyond just, Hey, we got Robbie selling and Dylan Lesko who look pretty darn good <laughs> really all the way through. You see guys in the mid to late rounds have been really impressive. Jeff, This is a really solid top 10. Again, we've talked about the top five. As soon as you throw Drew Thorpe in there, it's one of the better top fives around. Uh, You have good players six through 10, really six through 11 when you consider Thorpe's addition. How many other guys were in consideration for this top 10? Was there kind of a hard stop after Marcy or were there some other guys that were in consideration?
2: Well, it's, you know, no, not a hard stop. Like before, like the year before, I was struggling to find guys. That were top ten. They had top twenty to twenty five. A lot of those guys this year. You know, you mentioned Nathan Martorella. He was close. I thought Ryan Berger had a a a really solid year. He's been a solid guy since he was drafted in twenty one. I have him at eleven. JD Gonzalez is a guy that didn't get to play much. He was impacted by injury. You know, but he's a catching prospect. You know, in the ten to fifteen range. Um, So there's there's a lot of guys that were in consideration Um, homer bush jr i mean that guy was in a like quite a find um fourth round grand canyon like nobody was going to grand canyon to see homer bush right like (laughs) they were going to see um jacob or jack wilson's son jacob right and there's this guy and what he finished the year you know in double a and you know i i was in the dugout when they were kind of like just kind of kicking around the idea like oh he's gonna finish the year in elsinore and uh, oh yeah, we'll send him the double A for the playoffs. Let, let him let him go out there, run around the outfield, get some balls, steal some bags off the bench. Yeah, he, he hit in double A too. Like like he was a pleasant surprise.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, just reading through the full uh Padres chapter, what stood out is is there is depth here. And then again, the Padres consistently have done a good job of mining for amateur talent, both domestically and internationally. The issue has been Amateur talent identification and major league roster construction are two completely different skill sets. There's never been a question about their ability to the former. There has always been a question about their ability to the latter. Jeff, take what we've talked about, the major league team, what they have in the farm system. And I know the crystal ball can be cloudy at times and and we all make predictions and, and they come back to bite us. That's the nature of the industry we're in. What's the timeline for this team to get back to to contention? Because just I'll give you mine. I, I feel like I look at this and I say I think twenty twenty four with the team constructed as it is now, and when you consider limited ability to add, this could be a really rough year. But if they let these guys develop, a lot of these guys who have partial double A time, let them have a full year double AA, A, triple A, and bring them up in twenty twenty five. I think there's a chance that. The 2025 team is kind of young and exciting. You mix in with, you know, the existing standouts you have and you might have something. So I feel like 2024, you almost have to say this is a development year. We're going to take whatever comes. But if they keep these guys and develop them smartly, they have a chance to at least be exciting and and maybe contend in 2025.
2: I mean, what are we talking about content? Like, well, the Dodgers are going to spend a billion dollars. To
1: be clear, we're, we're, okay. talk, we're talking like the yeah. fifth wildcard spot, which, you know, you look at the Diamondbacks last year, won 84 games, got the sixth spot, ran to the World Series. Again, I think we're talking mid-80s wins. We're certainly not talking about throwing up 100, 110 wins competing with the Dodgers. That that ship has sailed. That That's not happening. Okay, well, I'm not
2: fully on board with punting on this year. I think this team is still more exciting than the Diamondbacks team that I saw, you know, last (laughs) August. Like, you know, Tatis, like, I don't know what's going on with Machado and his elbow and his recovery. And we'll see more about that in spring training. Um, A lot of holes still to fill. Um, I think they expect to contend this year. I think they always expect to contend. Um, If you've got Tatis out there, I think you're going to have an exciting team no matter what. Um, 82, 83, 84 wins, you'd like to be a little bit better than that, but I don't see why. Well, there's plenty of reasons why they might not get in (laughs) this year. I mean, you got to see what the rotation looks like, but I mean, I I think they will be in the conversation all year for a wild card spot. I don't, I don't think they're going to, you know, go rock bottom and just be out of it from the start of the year. Um, I think 24 looks a lot more promising uh, just based on the guys that you want to have a normal development. And have a chance to impact the team like they should be left alone to, pl- to play double a you know i i don't know what you gain from sending anyone to el paso um so play at double a and see where we're at as far as that those guys impacting this team next year and 24 looks more promising um 25 tw- 24 looks more promising than 23 oh. and then 25 you know when some of these pitching prospects are are, are more fully formed you know and maybe have a better chance to be counted upon you know that's probably a a good place to start for you know maybe approaching 90 wins again but you never know right yeah and again that's why they play
1: the games there's always guys who uh impress again we we saw the Padres get better outcomes from some of their prospects last year than they were projected out of the draft. Again, we've talked about Pauly. We've talked about Marcy. There's been a lot of guys that they've done a good job developing and now it's about just giving them time. Cause I think there's no question. This organization can develop. They just rush guys and, and it doesn't help anyone. Jeff, I do want to follow up on one thing here before we wrap up, you know, you mentioned rotation help and one player who is older, but still fits as a prospect, still ranked in the top 30 for you. We saw him come up and help at the end of the year because he's got a very unique pitch was Matt Waldron. Once he upped his knuckleball usage at the end of the year, he was actually pretty effective, especially against lineups with younger players. Who I remember talking to Lars Newbar, you know, talked about most guys under the age of like twenty six, twenty seven, some of them have never seen a knuckleball in their lives. Just the way the amateurs are developed nowadays and the minor leaguers developed now- nowadays. So, what is his potential role here? Because I, I feel like we talk about this need for pitching, this need to fill the rotation. They acquire these young pitchers from the Yankees. You saw Pedro Avila, who has had flashes as a starter. What's Matt Waldron's role? Because I do feel like with the way he performed after he upped his knuckleball usage at the end of the year last year, do the Padres have a,
2: a an actual knuckleball that can stick in the rotation every fifth day? I don't know if he's a, a starting pitcher. I, 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 there's people in the organization that would like to see him more as a swingman, maybe you know, four or five, you know, six inning kind of guy, throw a couple innings multiple times a week, you know, that's that's a good change of pace with that with that knuckleball. You throw him behind, you know, someone like Darvish. Um, um I mean they might need him to start, right? Like we don't <laughs> right now I right now I would have him as a sixth or seventh um, starter. Um it the knuckleball usage, he got his results were better once he started throwing it more. Um And I'm I'm not entirely sure why he wasn't throwing it even more, other than the fact that I don't think he could control it very well in El Paso, and that might have messed with how he felt about the pitch, his confidence with the pitch. Um, He wasn't a fan of the strike zone system there using El Paso. I don't think it was kind to his knuckleball. Uh, But, you know, for a time there, until I started asking him about it, nobody was hitting the knuckleball. And as soon as I started asking him about it, he gave up a couple homers on it he laughed about that he wasn't mad at me for (laughs) it but uh, um it's a pitch you don't see it so you want to see you know if if you've got an outlier pitch you've got a chance to be different and being different is good so you know we'll see if that's as a fifth starter type or as a reliever type
1: yeah again i think just uh from a pure entertainment perspective, the game's a little more fun when you got a knuckleballer and, and just being at that start against the Cardinals, especially seeing how just thrown off they were, how thrown off balance they were with it. It was interesting and the way he finished the year, who knows what we'll see what happens. And uh, if he's able to, to add a little bit of an entertainment value to uh, the Padres rotation this year, Jeff, as we wrap up here, any final thoughts on the Padres
2: system, the organization, just the overall outlook. No, I'm just kind of waiting to see how many more non-relievers Asia probably gets in into camp,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's interesting to think about you know, Matsui and Go, two guys that i've I've written about extensively. for those who are curious, it, you know, we did not rank Asian or well, all foreign professionals in the handbook this year., uh, just a change of our our the way we do things. But, Both these guys, I wouldn't put them in the Padres' top 10. I'd put them comfortably in the early teens. So I think that there are certainly options the Padres have in terms of talent in this system. It's just about, again, Lane's guys develop, and we'll see. It's, It's been a very, very tumultuous last nine months. We'll see what Mike Schilt's able to do as a new manager. We'll see what the new managing partner, Eric Consenda, does, and just see how it all shakes out. There's a lot of uncertainty, but we'll see what it looks like on opening day. Jeff? Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to uh, spending many a night with you uh, at Petco Park, uh, as always, this coming year. Sounds good, man. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Sanders, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.